I really want to talk about the gospel hope today. Um, I, want, uh, I really want to, it's really about the resurrection, eternal life. That's our hope. That's the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That's what we're all here for. That's what we're all looking forward to. That's what drives us in the sense. And uh, um, it's the inheritance that is gained by being of water, being born again of water and of the Spirit. And that's the only way to get eternal life, to get uh, the assurance in our life of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes, if you would, with me, please. Just after Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, it's... Uh, Written by, uh, well, it's written by the Holy Ghost, actually, but it's uh, got Solomon's name on it. And uh, just one verse there, there, in verse 2 of chapter 7, chapter 7 of verse 2. Um, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Um, funerals and remembrance services, uh, that's the house of mourning. The, uh, the times of uh, uh, real reflection for all of us when we go to these events. Death is the big unknown for the majority of people, uh, but not for the same, you know. Uh, people, the Bible says people live their lives in fear of death, you know, and... Uh, I suppose it's sobering to go to a house of mourning because it reminds you that it was spiritful or not. Our turn is coming, you know, uh, when we're going to fall off the perch. Uh, uh, our time uh, really uh, for a lot of people when they go to these events is to, to face the big question which most people ignore in their life. What happens to me when I die? And, uh, of course, uh, when we're spirit-filled, we've got this great assurance. Um, Eating, drinking, and uh, making merry can be found in the uh, uh, in the house of feasting, can't it? But it's a straw house. It doesn't have. Uh, 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 it appeals to the carnal nature. This house of feasting, the world's doing it. It's got no either. It's either got no hope, or it's got a false hope. The house of feasting, you know. The house of mourning really stops us in our tracks when we go to it. Man's life is of a few days, the scriptures say. It's a shadow. It's a, uh, um, it's a watch in the night. It's a vapor. A uh, man grows, he springs up in the morning like grass, and by evening it's gone, you know. It's sort of, uh, it's very transient, you know. Uh, <coughs> uh, it's a tale that is told. Really. But we give little thought to death until we attend the funeral. And, uh, and then we just continue on our merry way. A lot of us after that, you know, I did before I came to the Lord. Remaining ignorance of the sure hope of the resurrection that's in the Bible. And that's the Bible message is that you can, we can live forever, you know. Um, in Titus, it says, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In the hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but has in due times manifested his word 
through preaching. So it's the preaching of the gospel, the good news, you know, to mankind that uh, uh, making known uh, uh, the wonderful prospect of eternal life. And when we think of the gospel, um, uh, we think of the gospel of salvation. We think of the gospel of healing. We think of uh, becoming a new creation. We think of we preach about the peace, peace of the gospel, you know. But the gospel is more than these things. The gospel is uh, uh, they, those things are wonderful and truths, you know. Uh, but there are other benefits, uh, and the hope that's conferred on us by the Holy Ghost is one of the greatest benefits of the gospel. It's the antidote of grief, you know. Uh, it's the source of gladness when you think about uh, where we're heading, right? It, it's the, what we're spiritual, it gives us it great assurance, great certainty, really, in this life after death. We know. The problem with them speaking the, the words from the Bible uh, uh, to the Westminster was that the words were there, but there's no reality to them. But when we read it, yes and amen, you know. Uh, you know, through the hope we've got, there's no sting in death. It doesn't hold us in fear. Um, <clears throat> and I just think what the, the catalyst for this talk is that in recent times, we have witnessed the manifestation of this great hope of the gospel uh, in in just in recent times. Uh, uh, first, there's the remembrance service for our dear sister Susan Williams. Um, I actually didn't catch... Um, and then there was the, uh, the, the funeral for our sister Mia Farrow in South Africa. Well, I didn't see Mia, Mia Farrow's uh, funeral live. I, I watched it late at night on the Friday before, on the night before Susan's remembrance. And uh, so I had from between 10 and midnight, I watched um, the funeral of, uh, of Mia, who was 11 years old for people who don't know her. She was taken away as a, as a young girl, you know, uh, through sickness. And, uh, and then on uh, the next day, I was at the remembrance service here, uh, which is a really moving occasion, you know. And I really felt pulled apart emotionally. You know, in one case, I, that by both, by both of those, it really impacted me. And the, it was sort of really, um, uh, you know, there was a sadness there. And, but there was a joy and a rejoicing as well. And the joy and the rejoicing won. Because clearly, in both circumstances, it was the hope that the gospel provides that carried, it will carry us through, you know. It's, uh, you know, funerals in the world are hopeless affairs, you know. They're filled with uncertainty, you know. I took my mother's funeral, and the funeral director came to me at the end of the funeral and said, that was the best funeral I've ever been to, you know, because the saints were rejoicing, singing all the favorite choruses and stuff, you know. But uh, Susan's funeral, it was a celebration of a blessed life, you know, uh, on earth and uh, a future life in heaven. Uh, the, you know, it was a life that was over. Uh, <coughs> she was rejoicing after she was saved. Uh, she was obviously a strong-willed person because it was from when age of 16 she was on dialysis, you know. But uh, she was a wonderful testimony of the hope of the gospel. 
And uh, her assurance about eternal life just really shone through. You know, I carried her through the difficult end of her life as well. And she counted herself truly blessed. And in the end time, she said she wouldn't change anything about her life. And that was because of the hope of the gospel that she'd received. She knew where she was going, you know. What comfort that is, you know, when you know that uh, your demise is imminent, you know. And then uh, uh, Mia Farah's, you know, griefs, grief is evident, you know. Uh, we don't expect that to happen, but it does, you know. Uh, it was really was also a celebration of a short life and also of the sure hope in that circumstance which is probably the, the, the occasion when the thing you fear most comes upon you as a parent, that you lose a child, you know. Uh, both were a, a real testimony of uh, the peace and comfort that the Lord provides. Um, just uh, by the reason of the fact we know that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, you know. It was, uh, to me, it was a, a profound, emotionally draining um, uh, occasion, but it, I came away absolutely impressed and more aware of the great hope that we've been given by the Lord, you know. Uh, it's a mystery to the world. It's foolish to many, but it's a reality to us. It's a certain hope, the Scripture says. There is grief for a time. Grief is part of it, you know, but is well with the souls of the Spirit filled in those occasions, you know. As believers, uh, to go to the house of the morning, it is good for us because it makes us stop and reflect on our life. Uh, the end of our faith, as I said, the salvation of our souls, you know. And we appreciate more and more what Jesus Christ has achieved on behalf of us at the cross of Calvary. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31. How can a funeral be a celebration? Well, it can be when you're spirit-filled and the person who has passed on is spirit-filled. You know? 31, and verse 12, chapter 31 of verse 12. Therefore they shall come and sing in the heights of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and for wine and for oil, for the young of the flock and of the herd, and their souls shall be as a watered gathering, and they shall no more sorrow any more at all. It's talking about the gathering of Israel uh, to the Lord. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, the church. The virgin shall rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And, from their sorrow. and I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. You know, they're talking about Israel. Is that it's very applicable to us uh, about um, when we're going to be gathered together to meet the Lord. You know, uh, we know that there's going to be no more tears or sorrow or crying. You know, we just be the great joy of meeting the Lord. For um, circumstances like uh, me or Pharaoh, the next few verses are very. Uh, potent is applicable as well. Verse 14, and I was, uh, <clears throat> verse 15, thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rahel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not 
This is quoted in the New Testament when Herod slew every male child under two because he wanted to get rid of this uh, one who was going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you know. Thus says the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and thou shalt come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, says the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. What a great comfort that is for people who, uh, uh, you know, uh, coupled with the assurance of the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a time of grief. But uh, Rahel uh, um, was told to cease from weeping, you know, and uh, there is a time of grief and the time of grieving. But you can't live your life in grief, in a grief-grieving state. Uh, it's a, a question of overcoming and looking up and, and resting on the promises of the Lord and knowing that uh, the Lord has got everything in control, you know. Um, and uh, it's talking about satisfaction and contentment here, you know, um, as well. Uh, it's better to be overwhelmed by the love of the Lord than by natural grief. There's a thought that came to my mind. It's hard to imagine. I suppose we go through all, go through, and that scripture is applicable to anyone who, uh, who's lost a, a child from the Lord into the world and they've gone their own way, and they're no longer fellowshipping. But there's always hope. And we don't, uh, whilst we miss them, uh, we've got to rest in the Lord and know that the Lord still loves them, and he's working to bring people back to fellowship. And we've seen lots of that recently, and we rejoice in that. You know, that uh, uh, there is always hope that, uh, uh, you know, and that's why there's such stories as the prodigal son, etc. There's lots of... There's lots of things in the world which may would call of course us to be uh, uh, downcast, you know. But it's hard to think of anyone else, uh, you know, in the scriptures who went through more apart from Jesus Christ than Job did. You know, he lost his children, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost everything he owned, really. You know, yeah, but he never cursed God. And in Job 19, uh, God turned to it. He says, "What carried him through was." He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he, he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You know, it's sort of, okay, I'm going to rot, the body's going to rot on the earth, but he knew in his flesh he was going to see God. He had a hope of the resurrection. Even the Old Testament, because he believed in God, he was a, he he was as righteous as a man can be without uh, without being filled with the Holy Ghost. But uh, he had a great faith in God. So by faith he knew that God had revealed it to him. God dealt with him, and it was sufficient for him to overcome all his problems that he'd faced. And he'd lost children as well, you know, you know. And then uh, in Ezekiel thirty-seven, you can read about the Valley of Dry Bones. Can these dry bones live? And of course, they come together, and there's flesh put on them, and you know, uh, it's a, it's a question of, a, it's just a real literal picture of, of uh, the dead rising up to life again, the resurrection. You know, David said, uh, "As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness." David had the hope of resurrection back then. 
how much more have we got the hope of resurrection, you know? Because the but he says we've got a better testament, a better hope, built on better promises. We've got the Holy Ghost within us. We've got the guarantee within us, you know? It's a, you know, um, John 3.16, what a verse that is. It's so misused, abused, and never really got taken hold of by uh, people who uh, uh, who don't find out the deep meaning of it, you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. Of course, the secret to believing is obeying, to repenting, to being baptized, bearing your old life, and receiving a new life by the Holy Ghost. Jesus says himself said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, you know. He that believeth of me, though he were uh, dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe that? We believe it because we receive the Holy Ghost. What better promise there is? Um, the world's full of false hope. Uh, religion's full of false hope. False Christianity, false hope. It's vain, it's empty, it lacks a punch, there is no personal proof. It's a, it's a nice thought to think that your departed ones are in heaven and they're looking down upon you, sort of thing. Or uh, 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 it's a nice thought that if I die, I go straight to heaven, right? It's a nice thought, but it's not based on Scripture. It's not based on the Word of God. It's not based on what Jesus said. It's not the base uh, the way that Jesus said we uh, we we reach this resurrection, you know. Putting our hope in Mary will not achieve this, you know. She's asleep as well in the grave, waiting for the resurrection, sound of the trumpet, like all the other saints. What people really need is the sure hope of the gospel which we preach. You know, sure it's about salvation, but it's about God's law being written in our hearts and knowing for sure, you know. Let's go to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. They read Colossians 1 yesterday. Ah, Sunak, uh, uh, the Prime Minister, read Colossians 1. But I'm sure he didn't understand it. I hope he did. I hope his spirit filled, but I doubt it much, very much. But the Lord knows, you know. How do we gain this hope, this hope of salvation, ruined? Um, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. For the hope which is laid up in he- for you in heaven, it's laid up for us, it's set there for us, whereof you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. It's part of the gospel message, this hope of eternal life, isn't it? You know, it's the point of it. If you go down to chapter, uh, verse 25 of the same chapter, right, it says, uh, Whereof I am made a minister, that's Paul, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. It's made known to us by the Spirit. How is it made known? Not just in words, but in power. The Holy Ghost comes in and we get this revelation. Light comes into darkness. The Lord reveals his power, his presence, his purpose to us. And uh, uh, he says, uh, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery amongst the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, you know. Um, Christ in us, the hope of glory. How can God himself dwell within us? What a mystery it is to the world. 
you know, uh, Christ is in us. It's the motivator to preach, to teach, to labor, to strive, to overcome, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, to get out there and share the gospel, there's hope for the future, eternal life for people. Let's go to verse 23. There's a proviso. It says in verse 23, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under earth, uh, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, you know, we need to be guard that hope. It's a precious to us. We need to defend that hope. We mean we need to have to make sure that we don't get caught away with interest in other things which are temporal, which are not really significant, that no division takes us away from this this laying uh, this hope of the gospel. You know, in Galatians five it says we wait through the Spirit for the hope of righteousness by faith. We'll be truly righteous when we're transformed. You know, we'll never really reach that state. In the Lord's eyes, we're righteous, but uh, we're far from it in this mortal flesh, you know. Carnal, you know, flesh cannot inherit the, the kingdom of God, but uh, the Spirit can. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6. It's a wonderful thing to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And all the people said, What a knowledge! What a release! What an answer to the big question in life. What happens to me when I die, you know? You can believe in reincarnation, but you might come back as an earthworm, you know? Especially if your karma's not that good. There's no hope in that, is there? You know? The problem, as I said before, you know, the problem with all these other beliefs is that you've got to find out to, you've got to wait till you die to find out that you were wrong, you know? The great thing about Christianity, the truth, is you can know now. God can prove himself to you now. It's a present uh, it's a present assurance. It's not a distant hope, you know. Uh, Christ coming within us is a reality. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a, uh, might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. We find refuge from the world in the promises of God, in the church of God, in the kingdom of God. It's a refuge from the world. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. It right into the very presence of God. There's nothing between us and God. This hope is... Uh, uh, is right from the source. It's not through a, another a priest or a minister. Or, it's personal. And when it comes in, when the Holy Ghost comes in, that hope comes in and it anchors our soul, you know. And anchors stop us from drifting. It says, you know, be careful not to be moved away. And it stops ships, anchors stop ships being founded in storms. It stops them drifting. We have storms of life. We have deaths of loved ones. We have, other, we have sickness and we have other things. But if we're anchored to the Lord, if we're anchored in Christ, we're immovable, we're steadfast, you know. Uh, a ship without an anchor is not seaworthy. You can't take it out on the ocean because without an anchor it's not seaworthy. Men without the Holy Ghost is adrift in a storm, nothing to hold them, you know. There's, there's no anchors in the world, you know. The, the anchors are in sand, they're not in anything solid, you know. 
They're tossed about with every wind of doctrine, every wave that comes along. And the waves and the seas are roaring at the moment with all the conspiracy theories that people are tossed about all over the place. They don't know what to believe. They've got no assurance. And we are stable. We are anchored. We've got a purpose, you know. Well, we've got to make sure the anchor chain is in the, is, is embedded in God's word. The, the anchor is embedded in God's word, but the chain itself is embedded in our heart. That that's what we, links us to the anchor. What's in our heart, you know. We've got to lay hold of it. By faith, it becomes reality. As I said, it takes the sting out of death, you know. But it can fade away through neglect and our focus on other things. The backslider in heart is filled with their own ways. It doesn't take long for the world to consume all the promises and fill your heart with other stuff. That's the danger, is regaining your heart, keeping your heart guarded, makes you sure that doesn't happen to you. Temporal gain replaces eternal hope. You know, people lose their vision of eternal life for because there's something they want now. Well, we ought to lift our eyes above that, above the world, and lift their eyes on the Lord. Uh, you know, when we... Uh, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, First Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 8. But let us, who are of the day, we're children of light, we're not children of darkness, the light of the gospel of Christ is shone in our hearts. The day stars dawned in our, our heart, you know. We know the truth now. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. When we experience a tragedy like the loss of a loved one or a child, you know, uh, it can deliver a great blow to our head and our heart. The soldier's uh, helmet protects the mind, the sight, the hearing, the forehead. Essential senses, so that the rest of the body might function properly, might be guided, might respond appropriately. It withstands blow, the helmet of uh, salvation withstands blow from, blows from the enemy, so that we might keep balanced and focused. A blow to an unprotected head could be a mortal wound. Severe. You'd render all our other weapons out and armor useless, you know, as Goliath found out to his uh, detriment, you know. If we'd be unable to gird on our breastplate of faith if we get a blow to the head, or to hold up the shield, or to put on our shoes the gospel of peace, or the sword, you know, use the sword properly. Hope of salvation keeps us armed and keeps us ready for the fight, you know. The hope helps us to see the bigger picture than the present, bigger, far bigger than the present circumstance. It gives us stability. We see things as the Lord sees things, not for the present circumstance. We have to step back from the immediate tragedy and look at it and see by faith. And, you know, uh, the natural mind wants to know why. Why me? Why us? What possible good can come from this? You know? The heart becomes broken. A single-hearted trust in the Lord can be in jeopardy. 
This is a great scripture, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What's mentioned here? It says the breastplate of faith, love and hope. What abides? Faith, hope and charity. What will remain? Faith, hope and charity. These are triplets. They often appear together because they support each other. You know, they, uh, the three in one that we have through the Holy Ghost, uh, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. We are saved by grace through faith, which is not of ourselves, but the gift of God. And this great hope is given us. Um, these three combine so that we cannot be, we can overcome these things in life. But the first uh, Corinthians chapter 13, first Corinthians chapter 13. It says, and now abides, verse 13, and now abides faith, hope, charity, these three, but the grace of these is charity. But the verse before explains our state at times. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. When we see the Lord, we see face to face. Now I know in part. I don't understand the full picture. But then shall I know, even as I am also known. In due course, things are going to be revealed. We've got to see why things happened, when things happened. In the meantime, we've been given the hope to carry us through, you know. Hope is the link between now and then. The things, uh, uh, the things we cannot understand now, but we will understand when we see the Lord, you know. By faith, we trust the Lord completely. God knows. God knows our circumstance, you know. Uh, God knows, you know, the thing is, that God knows why he does things, and he knows the consequences of what he does. And if he decides to take a teenager, he knows why. But he also knows the consequences. He knows what it, the effect is going to have on those around him and those who people connected, you know. But, you know, <coughs> it's God's providence. You know, he has equipped us to face those circumstances. He's not left us as orphans. He's not left us without comfort. The God of comfort is with us, and he, he, he's the God of all comfort. He comforts us through every circumstance. <coughs> Within our heart and soul dwells the love of God. And it shields us from something which is too hard to bear. God's promise is that they will not be tempted beyond that which we, we can bear, but with the temptation will be given a way of escape. And the way of escape is by the Spirit, by the Scriptures, by the hope that he's given us to cover these situations, you know. Uh, Romans 15, uh, if you would, please. Verse 13, it says, Now the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace in believing, just in believing, trusting in the Lord, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. In a nutshell, how do we abound? How do we gain this hope? It's all by the Holy Ghost, you know. You know, when Israel were going off track, because they'd gone after idols and they were in great trouble and they were going to be taken into a foreign land, it said, Jeremiah asked a rhetorical question, he says, is there no balm in Gilead? You know, Jeremiah 8.22, if you want to look at that. 
Israel had forsaken God's comfort, you know, and uh, they'd gone after, you know, fountains that uh, were sisters that held no water, you know. There was no substance to what, the way they'd gone. But the thing that I looked at that scripture is the Nobam and Gilead, you know. Gilead was a place of refuge and comfort uh, to Jacob and to David and some of the Israelites who had been persecuted. They went to Gilead, and Gilead was a very prosperous place. It was along with uh, other rich, fertile places that are mentioned in the scriptures, you know. And it was like a place where God's blessing was. And Jeremiah is saying, why have you gone away? Is there no balm in Gilead, you know? The balm is, was a very costly and highly prized medicine. It was a cure-all, you know. And Gilead actually means perpetual fountain. It means the fountain, you know. So there's a place of refuge and a comfort and blessing to be found in Jesus Christ. And we find perpetual comfort in the hope of salvation. This hope that the Lord has given us by the spirit that dwells within. You know, the fountain of living water that never runs dry as long as we keep nurturing it every day, you know. It's a, we'll have the comfort. We'll have the nurture. You know, when we go to the house of mourning, we realize what a refuge we have in Christ. What a place to be. Firstly, because of the, com the assurance and com comfort we have in knowing that the person who has passed away, who is, who is spirit-filled, is in the Lord's hands. They're, going to, they're resting peacefully in the Lord. Secondly, because it reminds us we have the same future. And last of all, that the comforter within by it, we discover we will be sustained in every part of the natural grieving process. When my daughter left the Lord, I grieved for two or three years after it. It was the thing that I felt the worst had come upon me, and it was like a, a heavy-heartedness. You had to go out, you had to rejoice on the outside, but inside it was there, and you had to try and be edifying and give encouraging thoughts, but inside... You're grieving, you know. And then I read that scripture in Jeremiah, which says there's hope that you, your children will come back to the former boundaries. And at that instant, the Lord healed me. Through his word, I, the grief lifted, and I started to rejoice in the Lord again. You know? And it just, it just to me, illustrated the power, the comfort that's within. I, you know, I like Rahel. I'd heard about the prodigal son. I'd heard about other people coming back from the Lord. It did come out in the gifts. I read some scriptures, but I wasn't being comforted. She refused to be comforted. You've got to let the Lord comfort you in these circumstances. And he will. And he does a marvelous job. You know, he does a really marvelous job. You know, God has provided for all the consequences of life's events. That's, you know... He has made timely preparation for all those things that we will face in life. That's the definition of providence. His timely uh, uh, provision for all the things we'll face in life. You know, in Isaiah 53, he says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, grief and pain, acquainted with, and he knows understanding, and he knows and understands grief, calamity. In Hebrews 2, it says, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So he knows what it's like to suffer. 
Therefore he knows our state. Because he's omniscient. Christ has gone before us. He knows our frailty. It's a, uh, it's a good to remind ourselves in these times when we question that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heaven is above the earth, his ways are, are higher than our ways, ways, you know. Uh, uh, and because of our natural reasoning, it's hard to see that. But we just have to rest in God's providence. We have to learn to do that. And when we do that, we find peace. That peace that passes understanding. Other people don't understand how it reigns in our heart. Because it's through faith, it's through the Holy Ghost, it's through this great hope of the gospel that's been given to us. You know, um, you know, there is a time to everything, a season to everything on the sun. There is a purpose to it. There is a time to be born. There is a time to die. There is a time to weep, a time to mourn, and there is a time to rejoice, and there is a time to dance. Not sure about the dancing, but, yeah. But uh, through belief, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, it should be that way, you know. Um, where am I going to finish? Uh, I've got a bit more. I'm sort of going on a bit. I'll have to stop soon. What can we see? I am just about the glory of God very quickly. Um, we have access by faith is this grace where we stand rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You know, when God's glory came into the tabernacle, um, you know, <clears throat> Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle. When, when God's glory filled the temple of Solomon, the ministers couldn't stand there because the glory was so magnificent, you know. Uh, when Ezekiel was called by God, he gave this Ezekiel chapter 1 reading for homework. He tried to describe the glory of God. It's mind-blowing. It sends you, talk about wheels within wheels, you just can't comprehend it. You know, it's indescribable, the glory of God. But it's the hope of the glory of God that one day we're going to be see it, we're going to be part of it, you know. And um, uh, it's not possible that man in his natural state should see the glory of God. Uh, well, I suppose uh, what a thin vision that Stephen had when the heavens opened and he saw Jesus on the right hand of God. He saw a glimpse of the glory of heaven. He didn't feel the stones. He was focused on the glory, you know. Let's finish in, um, uh, let's finish in First Thessalonians. It's a scripture we all know. We're looking for that blessed hope. And, uh, uh, it's, uh, we, it's coming soon. We run the race. We want to finish our course, uh, you know, with joy. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. But this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a good, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hopefully, we'll all see that day. We won't get drawn away 
And if you're not baptized, if you're looking in online and you're not baptized, you're not spirit-filled, you'll never know the hope until you uh, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Ghost and you'll, feel, you'll, uh, you'll know for yourself by personal experience. Leave it there. Okay.